Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly, fight for the unborn. The vice president touts her support for abortion, while the White House also weighs in on a recent IVF ruling in Alabama. Coming together. I'm Eric Rosales at the Conservative Political Action Conference just outside the nation's capital. I'm speaking to the movers and shakers in the Republican Party about the issues affecting this election year. Somber anniversary. As the war in Ukraine nears the two-year mark, a church leader reflects on the prospects for peace. And an inside job. Restoration work begins on an iconic part of St. Peter's Basilica. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of the Chair of St. Peter. Our top story tonight, President Joe Biden tells supporters at a campaign fundraiser in California if Republicans pass a national ban on abortion, that he will veto it. And in Michigan today, his vice president, Kamala Harris, held another pro-abortion event, which the Biden administration has dubbed the Fight for Reproductive Freedoms Tour. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, tonight, the Biden administration's all-out push for abortion expansion continues. Vice President Kamala Harris tweeting today that when they win Democratic majorities in Congress, President Joe Biden will sign into law a bill that reinstates the protections of Roe v. Wade. Vice President Kamala Harris meets with pro-abortion advocates in Grand Rapids, Michigan. In 2022, after Roe v. Wade was tossed, Michigan voters changed the state's constitution to make abortion legal. But it should not be the government telling people what to do with their bodies. Her trip comes just days after the Alabama Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are legally considered children. The majority ruling stating unborn children are children without exception. So on the one hand, the proponents are saying that an individual doesn't have a right to end an unwanted pregnancy. And on the other hand, the individual does not have a right to start a family. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre, while aboard Air Force One on Tuesday, blasted the Alabama ruling, blaming Republican elected officials. But this is exactly the type of chaos that we expected when the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade and paved the way for politicians to dictate some of the most personal decisions families can make. But pro-life advocate Lila Rose of Live Action defending and praising the court's decision, writing on X, the Alabama Supreme Court has correctly recognized pre-born human babies, regardless of their age or location, as humans worthy of equal rights and protection. And she released this video. But the reality is these are little babies, just a few weeks old. And yes, they're frozen, which is one of the reasons IVF is so morally fraught, because you're literally freezing a new human life, letting it be in abstention for years. Rose also emphasizing human embryos are someone's son or daughter. If the baby at 10 weeks old or three weeks old in utero is a human, the baby at three weeks old in a Petri dish is a human too. Now, President Biden blames the Alabama decision on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But as you just heard, pro-lifers continue to fight for the sanctity of life at any age. And separately tonight in California, out west, President Biden met earlier today with Alexei Navalny's widow and daughter. And tomorrow the president will announce sanctions against Vladimir Putin, all in response to the death of their top Russian opposition leader, Navalny. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. 
Uh, coming up later in the newscast, analysis of the Alabama Supreme Court ruling from the president of the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition. Conservatives across the country are gathering tonight and into the weekend in Maryland for the annual Conservative Political Action Conference, and a number of lawmakers are there speaking at the event. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales has more. Good evening, Tracy. It's a much smaller crowd than in years past, but issues people are concerned about in America are in abundance, from the open border to inflation to government spending. Movers and shakers in the conservative political arena are here to make their voices heard. People are done with the Biden administration. It is ruining this country. It is destabilizing the world. It's time to get Donald Trump back in the White House. Yes, the Republicans on the Hill are being difficult right now. Yes, they're being demanding, but they should be because Joe Biden is not committing to what he said he would do when he ran for office, which is bringing this country back together and making it safe. He's divided us. Dozens of House Freedom Caucus members are making their voices heard. Just this week, they sent a letter to Speaker Mike Johnson calling on him to defend GOP policy provisions. They warned a majority of House Republicans will oppose any deal that doesn't include their priorities. I caught up with Freedom Caucus member Byron Donalds just before he took the stage at CPAC. Those are demands that we want. and uh, It's not even demands. This is what the American people are looking for. They got to know what their government is doing. And for it to wait until some bill drops on the desk and then you know what's in and what's out, I don't think that's good enough. In the letter, conservative lawmakers have more than 20 priorities, such as defund the Pentagon's illegal abortion travel fund, defund Planned Parenthood to prevent the use of taxpayer funds on abortions, defund gender transition surgeries paid for by taxpayer dollars, increase border security measures and protections against illegal immigration. They also want to eliminate taxpayer dollars for student loan bailouts and are pushing for reforms at the Justice Department. Senator Tommy Tuberville says Americans want change. Well, mostly about the border, about the economy. Uh, that's what people care about. But uh, this group obviously is worried about our country overall. And I am too, you know. America first. We got to make ourselves stronger again. But Democrats are pushing back. We are committed right here to being a firewall in the Senate against the House Republicans' extreme attacks on abortions. We refuse to accept a future where our daughters and granddaughters have fewer rights than we did. Freedom Caucus members are also urging Speaker Johnson to put forward a years-long continuing resolution until October 1st, which would trigger an automatic 1% cut in government spending across all departments if their demands are not met. In Maryland, at the CPAC conference, Eric Rosales, EWTN, News Nightly. Oh, yes, lawmakers are also traveling to Taiwan at the invitation of the country's president-elect. The gathering is sure to draw scrutiny from China. If Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party were to ever make the incredibly foolish decision to attempt an invasion of Taiwan, um, that that effort would fail. Representative Mike Gallagher, a Republican and Catholic from Wisconsin, showed his support for Taiwan and its hopes for a democratic future. The Chinese Communist government has not yet responded. Turning now to the Middle East, where Gaza health officials say Israeli airstrikes killed at least 48 people in southern and central Gaza.
This as tensions escalated further in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, where three Palestinian gunmen opened fire uh, this morning on morning traffic at a highway checkpoint. Israeli police say the shooting killed one person and wounded five others. A member of Israel's war cabinet also said that new attempts are underway to reach a ceasefire with Hamas and potentially release hostages. While group in Israel says that it found evidence of systematic and intentional rape and sexual abuse during the October 7th attack. In testimony, the executive director of the Association of Rape Crisis Centers in Israel said the abuse was more widespread than previously thought. It's not a quantitative research. It's actually understanding the practices of the Hamas. And when you look at it, and when you understand it, you can't believe it. I don't think in the recent history, and even in past history, things happened in a few hours in such a sadistic, brutal way. Other report mentioned the discovery of mutilated bodies from the October 7th attack. It added that first responders were overwhelmed by the scale of the death and destruction. Staying in the Middle East now, a suspected Houthi rebel missile set a cargo ship ablaze on the coast near Yemen. British officials say the ship suffered minor damage and the crew is safe. On the same day, Israel intercepted what appeared to be another Houthi attack near the port city of Alu. We have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including solemn anniversary. As the war in Ukraine approaches its second anniversary, we take a look at current conditions with Archbishop Boris Gutsiak and a restoration to remember at St. Peter's Basilica. Retired bishop from Australia faces sexual abuse charges. Bishop Emeritus Christopher Saunders has been released from police custody after being arrested earlier this week. Bishop Saunders had served the Outback Diocese for 45 years. The 74-year-old was released on bail and will reside in his home until his hearing in June. He has denied any wrongdoing. Two alleged victims of abuse from Father Marco Rupnik have spoken publicly for the first time in a news conference yesterday in Rome. The former religious sisters said that they were subjected to spiritual and physical abuse. Siamo molto felici con le sorelle di esserci ritrovate. With one accusing the former Jesuit and well-known artist of, quote, an abuse of conscience. The Vatican is investigating the claims. Father Rupnik has not commented publicly on the charges. On Saturday marks the two-year anniversary of the start of the war in Ukraine, despite hundreds of thousands of lives lost and more than $200 billion spent. The two sides are mired in a deadlock with an uncertain future on the horizon. It is estimated that 70 percent of Ukrainians have experienced the loss or serious injury of a family member or a close friend. Despite the stalemate, humanitarian aid continues to pour into the country from around the world, including a record $22 million from the Knights of Columbus. And here to discuss the current state of Ukraine and the impact of this humanitarian aid is Boris Gustiak, the Metropolitan Archbishop of the Ukrainian Catholic Archeparchy of Philadelphia and Metropolitan for the Ukrainian Catholic Church in the United States. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. I know you were recently in Ukraine. Can you give us an update on how things are there? How are the people doing two years on? 
So there's two sides of the story. There's incredible devastation. Probably hundreds of thousands of people have been killed. 14 million have been forced from their homes. Eight of those outside of the country uh, originally. Now two have come back. So there's, you know, five, six million internally displaced people. And many people don't have a home to come back to. There's a trillion dollars worth of uh, infrastructure damage. And the result will be, uh, depending on how long the war continues, use uh, up to 10 million people with PTSD, and a lot of those will be children. Of course, a lot of children are outside the country because they've left with their mothers. Uh, that's the devastation. But then there's also the defiance, uh, the strength, the resilience. Uh, Ukrainians are keeping together. They're in solidarity. It's really sacramental, uh, almost mystical. I know you were uh, quoted as saying if Russia puts down arms, then the war is over. If Ukraine puts down arms, Ukraine's over. Can you talk to us more about this? Well, Putin is very explicit. You know, there's no question about it because he says it. He says it. Ukraine is a fake. It's not a country. We're taking over. We're going to reconstitute uh, the Russian Empire in its Soviet proportions. And... Um, this is the Ukrainian language is just a dialect. Uh, the Ukrainian churches have to meld into the Russian Orthodox Church. They did it in the 20th century, uh, killing millions of Ukrainians. And this is what what can be expected if there's a fuller Russian occupation. The one message I've been there 10 times since 2022 uh, and the people say, please thank the Americans. The Americans understand us. Americans are the people of freedom. It's a democracy that uh, has been a model for the whole democratic world. I'm from Philadelphia. This is where democracy, modern democracy, originated. This is where our bell of you know independence uh, rang, where the Declaration of Independence was drafted, the Constitution. Uh, this is something that people the world over look up to, and. Uh, if if we allow people like Putin, if we allow the strongmen of China, of India, of you know the other countries where authoritarianism is growing, to uh, prevail, this this will be a very big problem uh, for the U.S. of A. And so many people need so much help over there in Ukraine right now. We mentioned the Knights of Columbus have raised a record $22 million and delivered 7.7 .7 million pounds of supplies to the victims of this horrific war. Um, how impactful do you think that support has been for the Ukrainian people? And also, what are the biggest needs for them right now? Well, you know, American Catholics have helped through Catholic Relief Services through Catholic Near East Welfare Association, uh, the Aid to the Church in Need, many other agencies. We have our uh, Metropolitan Healing the Wounds of the War Fund. Um, this, uh, I had a testimony from a sister that just came in from the front. Uh, she came into Philadelphia uh, last night and this morning at breakfast, she was explaining how when all the stores were closing and the banking system near the front wasn't working, it was the humanitarian aid that fed the people. It was the humanitarian aid that gave clothing to people whose houses were destroyed and who lost everything. It was humanitarian aid that got uh, insulin 
to diabetics who could not get medicine. So it uh, it has been uh, ex extremely inf uh, important, life-saving, life-giving. Well, Archbishop Gutziak, thank you so much for coming on and speaking with us. We really appreciate it. God bless you, and God bless you for all that you do. Thank, thank all the Catholics and all people of goodwill for for the solidarity, for the prayer, for the advocacy, and for the aid. God bless you and reward you hundredfold. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, the sanctity of life. Analysis of the Alabama Supreme Court decision earlier this week to consider frozen embryos as unborn children. Plus, learn about a restoration underway at St. Peter's Basilica. Welcome back. As we mentioned earlier, a hospital in Alabama has put a pause on in vitro fertilization following a recent ruling in the state's highest court that frozen embryos are unborn children. Earlier this week, Alabama's Supreme Court said three couples could sue for wrongful death when their frozen embryos were destroyed in an accident at a storage facility. For analysis of this ruling and the potential far-reaching impact is Eric Johnston, president of the Alabama Pro-Life Coalition. He is also an attorney and the architect of Alabama's 2019 Human Life Protection Act, the state's near total abortion ban. Eric, good to be with you today. Thank you for your time, sir. Talk to well, us about the Thank significance of this ruling. And also, what went through your mind when you heard about it, sir? Well, I knew the case had been pending for several years, and, and you never are ready for something when it comes, and it was a very well-written opinion, both the way it was constructed by the court as, a, as a, a review of an old law, as well as the application of the Alabama uh, constitutional provision that protects unborn life. Uh, it does create a dilemma, however, between the uh, in vitro fertilization and with, you know, what is a human life. Uh, both of those are valid considerations. Uh, and, and that's where, as I say, I call it a dilemma because it's a, it's a difficult thing to resolve. But I think we will be able to do that. And I was going to ask you, what happens now with those IVF providers and also the patients? Right now, the IVF providers are, as the UAB said, uh, the University of Alabama in Birmingham are pausing what they're doing. Uh, they're afraid of lawsuits, obviously, by plaintiff's lawyers who may try to sue them on the basis of this court opinion. Uh, at the same time, uh, there is a state senator who has prepared a bill to file, but to our knowledge, that bill is very deficient and it does not need to be filed. We're trying to get him to hold up until we can work with the medical community to come up with a valid way to address this. But, you know, legislators sometimes uh, want to go ahead and move along, and I'm sure they're getting some pressure. But it's a very difficult subject. And as I said, I use the word dilemma, and a dilemma is always a hard thing to resolve. Indeed it is. Uh, as we heard earlier, uh, the White House is clearly against this ruling. Uh, Biden campaign manager Julie Chavez-Rodriguez spoke out saying, quote, with our latest attack on reproductive freedom, these so-called pro-life Republicans are preventing loving couples from growing their families. Um, sir, how would you respond to that? I would respond that the Biden White House has never found an unborn person that they did not like. 
up until the, the person is born. They support abortion without limitation, and I'm not surprised at all that they come out as a negative comment right now. I'm just surprised that Joe Biden was able to articulate it himself. Yeah. How do you how do you think this may all play out, maybe politically, in the 2024 election? Do you think this could have an impact on it? No, not really. This is not abortion. This is not the primary you know, battle lines over the, the sanctity of life that have been around for so long. This is just a unique problem with IVF, which most people would accept, and, and there are many happy families as a result of it. But then there are others who do not believe IVF is appropriate at all or that there ought to be limitations. I think dealing with this when we have a specific wrongful death statute that created this dilemma I think we hopefully will be able to address that small part for that statute, but in the process, have some reasonable regulation of IVF so that uh, there won't be problems in the future in unexpected ways. Yeah. Uh, what do you think this means for the pro-life movement? Well, I think it's uh, it's encouraging to the pro-life movement that uh, a state like Alabama that has a constitutional amendment protecting the unborn gets the recognition that it needs after uh, Roe was around for almost 50 years, uh, children, unborn children were not respected. And now we see a continuous movement toward respecting the unborn in all the shapes and forms. And I think it is very encouraging to the pro-life movement uh, that this court opinion was articulated such a clear standard. Well, Mr. Johnson, thank you so much for your time and for weighing in. We really appreciate it. God bless you. God bless. Thank you. I'll finally tonight, the restoration of the canopy over the altar in St. Peter's Basilica is now underway. The scaffolding will remain in place as liturgical celebrations will continue throughout the year. This is the first work on the canopy in 250 years. The plan is for the restoration to be completed by the end of November, just prior to the beginning of the Jubilee year. Uh, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.